Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Boo! Bloody ya! Boo ya! Hey, Kyle. What's up, John? How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing really well. How about yourself? Good. Yeah, not too bad. Not too. What bad. have you bit, been up to of... over the last week? I, look, I get to ask your question. What have you been up to oh, over really? the last week, John? Yeah. Nothing. It's been raining. I'm grumpy. No, all good actually. I, I got out running, so that was good. I did seven miles the other day, so I'm getting the miles up, which in is one good. Day? Yeah, in one day, in one in one sitting. I was going to say one sitting. Sitting's not the right word for not running. Not the right word. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> in seven one run. Miles. There you go. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, seven miles sounds awful though. That's, uh, yeah, it's that's a long. A well, do you know what? Running along the bay front and the beach is kind of nice. That would be nice. Grab yeah. a coffee afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. There's are you worse a, places to run. Are you a morning workout person? I, I'm first, not first a workout thing. person. Oh, you mean oh, my preferred? Morning, yeah. Are I, you a morning runner? I guess I should have. I asked, do. Yeah. yeah, I prefer getting up early, running. Part of that is parking related. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but part sense. of it is, uh, yeah, getting up. I think the last one I did, I started at seven a.m. Ah. Was done by eight thirty. Having a coffee by eight thirty. Sat by the bay, listening to the waves crashing. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Who that knew San wonderful. Diego was so nice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, everyone says that, right? <laughs> what have you been up to? More importantly, what have you uh, bought? I, you know, I actually wrote an off, I wrote an offer for the first time in a while, um, in at Amazing. least a month, and it was uh, it's a nice twenty two unit apartment building uh, over in the south, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I should hopefully hear back an answer on my LOI, but it was uh, it was. It's a really nice Class B asset. It's built in 2010. It's uh, actually part of its two stories, part of its three stories, and um, really, really nice units. Um, tenant pays all utilities. Just kind of checks all the boxes for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're trying to upgrade a lot of it because we've bought a lot of Class C properties over the years, and trying to upgrade to some Class B and some Class A. And and uh, our guest Natalie today talked a little bit about having less doors but a higher cash flow. Mm-hmm. which is a direction that my wife and I are trying to go. So we, uh, we're really keeping our fingers crossed. This one, I, I really want this one. That's amazing. Congratulations. Fingers crossed for you. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're dealing with our Big Bear property is under about two feet of snow at the moment. So oh, we had no. guests. We had a guest not being able to make it up the mountain and we had to move their booking and all that kind ah. of stuff. So it's, it is what it is. It's, it'll be great once the, <laughs> once the snow is more manageable. People can go ski and it'll be incredible. Um, so we had to kind of eat that a little bit and just move their booking to later in March, which is fine. You know, what are you going to do? Say no, tough. You've got to pay. Yeah, <laughs> just roll with it. Um, and as you said, we've got uh, Natalie on the call today. Um, Natalie Cloutier, I think I said her last name mm-hmm. um, correctly. And uh, Natalie's amazing. That She's based in Canada. Her and her husband, Rob, are um, investing um, in, in, in developments. They're developing from the ground up. Uh, they're both former architects or current architects, I guess, um, in different, slightly different fields. Um, but they're building um, really, really great properties, fourplexes, duplexes that um with a real kind of focus on quality and a focus on raising a upper community and as kyle said the focus is cash flow um rather than doors and quality over quantity and i think that's a really interesting um interesting kind of place to be and equally uh interesting is they talk a little bit about um or natalie talks a little bit about private money lending and kind of how she used it to kind of get out of a sticky situation with traditional finance so that's kind of interesting and also a ton around like mindset and things like that, right, Kyle? Absolutely, yeah. And, and she's so interesting. You know, a lot of the things that she talks about in this is uh, is something a lot of aspiring developers want to really pay attention to. Or if you've ever even thought about building, you know, build to rent. That's another another method that a lot of people are kind of starting to move over towards, especially as the cost of materials are starting to come down in the market. But Check out her website. It's rn-properties.ca. And of course, it'll be in the show notes. But she's got pictures of the different things that her and her husband have built. And these are gorgeous properties. I love mm-hmm. the way that they're not traditional multifamily where, you know, very clean defined lines like, um, you know, a duplex where you can see the front door here, the front door there. 
you know, these look like mansions. I mean, these are really, really classy properties. And, and I love what they're doing. She talks through the, the mindset, how they got started, some of the difficulties that they had right down to where they're at today and, and a total of 28 doors. So um, pretty, pretty neat story. So have a listen. But wait, there's more. Oh, that was my best infomercial that was good. <laughs> impression. Um, the other cool bit is Natalie goes into the exact specifications of a two or three bed um, fourplex or duplex and kind of what to look for. It's a tick list of what to look for in a property that has curb appeal and appeal inside. And it's kind of a I, I found that really interesting. Um, Absolutely. Before we throw to the episode, usually I go without further ado. Check us out on YouTube. And also follow us on Instagram, Investories Pod, and give us a hello. And if you like this podcast, why not write a five star review and say, Thank you, Kyle. I like your hat. <laughs> it's a beanie. You're, As a what beanie. Are you, what are you wearing there? What did you call that puffy thing there? Oh, a, a, a gilet? A vest? A gilet. A vest? A vest. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, without further ado. Here's the episode. <laughs> Welcome to Investories, Natalie. Nat- I'm going to start that again. I've already <laughs> messed it up, and I will keep that in. Welcome to Investories, Nat- Natalie Cloutier. Yes. Did I say your last name? As Carl reminds me not to say surname. Yes. Correctly. You actually said it very yes. well. Wow! It was like we rehearsed it just before we pressed. <laughs> Maybe just once. Um, <laughs> Maybe just one. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Natalie. Um, you're up in Canada. Yes, we are in the Great White North. It is very cold here this morning. Or today, actually, Kyle, this, this, is our, <laughs> this is our first Canadian um, interview. Yeah. This is awesome. Man, good, we should it? do more. We've, yeah. done, we've done a few other places, but not that many, actually. We should. Uh, and, and I get it. It's cold here. I'm in San Diego. Okay. And I had to wear a gilet today. Or a vest, as you Americans Oh, jeez. Crimea River. What did you call it? A gilet. You had to wear a what? A gilet. A gilet? A gilet. Yeah. Huh. It's like a puffer jacket with no sleeves. It's not that cold. <laughs> yeah, we call, it, we call it a vest. Anyway, yeah, we're getting sidetracked. <laughs> Natalie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Uh, we're really excited. You've, you've got kind of a, a broad um, spectrum of properties. Uh, but I think what's really interesting is your your kind of commitment to providing great housing, building up to the community, and really, really interestingly, investing with your husband, Rob. Mm-hmm. And um, so we want to get into all of that. Um, can you give us the kind of broad strokes of how you got started and, and the kind of route? in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it started, my husband and I met in college, we were studying architectural technology. Uh, right after college, we wanted to move in together. We ended up buying a basement unit condo. We're not happy with living in that. We wanted a backyard. We were paying a high interest rate. It was a kind of a special government program loan that we got. Um, and so um, we were telling our parents this and our parents kind of told us their trade secret, if you will, about auto construction loans, where you build a house using your sweat equity as a down payment. Um, so we met with a financial advisor. We got that going. We built our house. Uh, we were able to do the plan since that's what we studied in. So we designed a house with like a basement apartment to help pay for expenses because we were, we were doing entry level salaries at the time. So we really were nervous about owning a house. Um, and so we did that. We house hacked without even knowing basically, Um, And then once the apartment was done and it was rented, we were able to get a HELOC. And then we kind of just saw that this was a formula for creating long-term wealth and a business. And so we got into it. We built a second property and so on and so forth uh, until here we are today. It's like 10 years later now. (laughs) And so you guys, sorry, John, you you guys kind of jumped into this with uh, essentially your goal was to become developers. Am I understanding that correctly? Because, I mean, looking through your website, you guys have a lot of beautiful, beautiful places, um, which are all, for the most part, multifamily. Yes. You know, the way that we look at it, and, you know, it, it's all multifamily from duplexes. I saw quadplexes on there as well. Beautiful construction. They all look relatively new anyhow, you know, within the last so many years. So was that your goal was to become developers? And then, I mean, it started off as house hacking, I guess. Are you guys still house hacking? Well, so yeah, we still live in that same first house that we built and we still have an apartment in the basement just because it makes sense to have that extra income. Um, But it wasn't really our goal to be developers. When we studied in college together, we kind of had this like far off dream of starting a building business, but 
it was a dream. It was, you know, nothing was concrete and we never thought it would be this because we know we knew nothing about investing at the time. Like I didn't know anything about interest rates, mortgages. It was all learning as I as I went. So um, it wasn't really that like the second property that we built was mostly like, oh, it'll be a retirement fund. It'll be something for later and uh, et cetera. So that's what we did. But then eventually it just all kind of happened on its own and we figured it out as we went and eventually we realized, okay, we're actually investing and this is what's happening and it's a thing. <laughs> so um, no, it wasn't really planned. I can say, I can't say it was planned. Yeah, I, I can see how that would, I mean, that'd be exciting at the same time. You do one and all of a sudden you realize, wow, this is fairly successful. How long after you did that first one did you guys decide, okay, well, let's try our hand at doing another uh, one? Our first house we built, so this house that we live in now, we built it in 2014. Uh, by the time we did the basement apartment and we, we got into the second one, it was 2016. And then it was 2017. Then we did two in 2018, 2019. And we just kept going one or two a year. Uh, in total, we, we acquired 28 doors so far, not properties, the units. Uh, we sold six uh, in the past few years while the prices were, the values were soaring. Um, but um, yeah, it was about one a year for the first uh, couple of years until we, till we really went into a, the groove and made it a full-time gig. <laughs> nice. And, and we're, so these ones that you guys sent 28 units, are these all units that you guys built yourself? Uh, yes, except for two. We did a, a, a traditional burr in uh, 2021 with like a semi-detached duplex, a side-by-side -side duplex that we bought um, renovated, rented out for a year, and then sold in the peak of COVID. Um, so that was our first and only traditional burr. Everything else was built brand new. Wow, that's that's good foresight. I mean, especially you know selling. You said you sold six of them at the kind of the height of the market. Yeah. Great way to yeah, that's that's great foresight. And um, so it sounds like you and your husband Rob have been doing this since the beginning. Mm -hmm. And was there, I guess, any growing pains in most businesses that begin, especially when you're investing with oh, a yeah. spouse? And I know exactly what that's yeah. like. You know, you can you can you can get some growing pains. There's some differences of opinions and and differences of direction. So, did you guys start to experience some of that? I would assume maybe you still experience some of that, or have you guys gotten a nice, well-oiled machine to where just everything works? Perfectly? Oh God, nothing ever <laughs> works perfectly. Um, so, right. definitely got a lot of growing pains. Um, it's 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 kind of a double-edged sword working with your spouse, right? Where it's amazing. It's an ex amazing experience. You're growing together. You're working towards common goals. So you get that different level of understanding with your partner um so it's fantastic but at the same time it really tests you it tests your your strength your your um your ability to kind of you know communicate and and whatnot so yeah we went through um some ups and downs um the business itself went through ups and downs obviously like any other and uh, now it's a lot better but we still the place i think where we would clash or butt heads the most is when we're actually designing stuff because we can do mm -hmm. that's what we studied in we can do our own designs yeah. and that's where like i'm usually the girl at the computer drawing because i did that longer after college whereas he went uh, in a different direction but he's more construction side right so he'll tell me how how to draw so that he can build it the way he wants but i have my own so very often we butt heads on that and we're at a point where we're like you know what we should probably start sourcing this out <laughs> but it's been such a huge asset to be able to do our own drawings we don't want to source it out but at, like we're, we're trying to figure that out it's getting better it's um yeah being able to leave our nine to five jobs too has been a big stress reliever both of us have been feeling a lot less pressure and we can kind of more manage everything including our relationship everything gets managed a little bit easier because you have less on your plate to juggle having a kid in the mix though that was a whole other thing <laughs> you don't say right <laughs> but the kid's now 18 months old so we're we're back in a groove a good groove now <laughs> it takes time I, I know exactly what that's like and uh cheers to you guys for making that work i'm curious you know just I guess the, the structure of your business, um, 
do you guys have employees would be one question. I've got multiple questions, but do you guys have employees and how do you and Rob split up your different responsibilities in the company? Right. So we, we set up roles and responsibilities a while ago. It was actually one of the things that um, I, I would, uh, that because I, I, I read a lot. And so I read that that's something we needed to figure out. So we did. He's definitely more construction, project management, and I'm now more design. I was also more uh, tenant oriented, you know, DIY landlord stuff. But now we've outsourced that to a property manager. So um, that alone, too, has been a big uh, ease of stress on our shoulders there. Um, so he's more construction. Like I said, I take care of design permit applications, you know, things like that. Um, day to day office work, bookkeeping, uh, too. So that's how we separate. Um, plus since when I got pregnant too, he did hire someone, we have one employee. Um, so that helped a lot too, that, that helps separate things. I think it's really good, um, to figure that out at the beginning, even if it's not your spouse, even if it's like just a business partner, someone you're in business with, you kind of, you have to figure out those boundaries from the start. Your roles and responsibilities is a big thing because it helps manage and it helps just like you said, it just, it, it just helps to kind of stray the boat a little bit, you know, to, to steer the boat a little bit, uh, um, yeah, yeah, you know what absolutely. I mean. Absolutely, I know exactly what I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I, I think you know in speaking with in speaking business in general, um, real estate investing, yes, but in business in general, I think one of the biggest things that people have problems with and struggle with is when they get to that point where their business becomes bigger than they are, mm -hmm. and then they realize, holy cow, I need to I need to yep. hire. Did you guys experience like at what point did you realize that this business was getting big enough? that you needed some more help? What were there any telltale signs for you? Um, that it's something that we've been struggling with for a while. We've been wanting to hire someone for a while. The issue that we had is that we didn't want to feel obligated to keep that salary and that person going if, you know, because when we realized that we really needed to, to hire someone was when I got pregnant and I couldn't, cause I would help Rob on site a lot. I would go and help him and do a lot of work too. Um, but now I couldn't do that being pregnant. And then I knew what the kid being at home, I wouldn't be able to do it at all. Um, so that's when we figured it out. But at the, at the same time, we were like, if Rob wants to take time off, because he took the first six months off with me when we had our son. Um, and so that's when we were like, well, if we want to keep doing that, take some time off, you know, we're doing this business in order to have the freedom of time. And if we want to take time off, then we can't really because we have to keep someone on the payroll, we have to keep them going and keep taking on more projects. Um, so it was a big debate that we went on back and forth and eventually it just made more sense. We, like Rob couldn't do it all on his own. Um, and then during COVID too, with the pricing of material and labor, everything went up. We had two, three, three constructions going on. And so Rob, right before we had our son, he burned out, right? He couldn't. And that's when mm -hmm. we we're like, okay, we're going to take six months off because we were already planning to do that with our son. And after that, if we keep going, we're hiring someone and we'll figure it out. We'll take a client build contract. If we have, if we have to, we'll, we'll figure it out, but he can't keep installing drywall on his own. Let's say it's just not feasible mentally, physically, anything like that. It doesn't work. So when you're at a point like that, um, that's when we realized, you know, that it was too much, but we probably should have done it earlier too. Yeah, no, and, and burnout's a real thing. You know, for anybody listening, you, it's one of those things that you don't see coming. Yeah. Um, and when it does, it hits hard. And if you don't, you know, problems don't get better with age. I mean, it's, that's, a, that's a real thing. And if you start feeling that way, there's, there's just something that you, you got to do something essentially is what it comes down to. And taking that six months off was great. I took off 12 months when I started to burn out on real estate yeah. and, um, it gave me some clarity. I, I think, did it do that for, for Rob as well? Did it kind of give a good kind of push the reset button type yeah. of thing and, and almost re refocus you guys yeah. back. Now you guys said, you said that you guys both had had or still have nine to five jobs. It sounds like you guys are done with nine to five jobs. Yeah. Right? Rob quit his in uh, 2018. That's when he decided to work full time in the business and kind of do the labor himself. And, and, you know, we were able to, uh, it was just easier to manage the constructions that way. And I, uh, left mine, uh, well, first thing this year. Excellent. What, what industries were you in? Were you in just design? No, I was actually, I had switched over to the federal government. So I was working for the federal oh. government since 2017. Um, and Rob was an estimator for a local, our local lumber yard uh, supplier here. 
Excellent, excellent. I guess you know, kind of switching gears a little bit to to. Uh, it sounds like you guys were really kind of ramping up, or had already ramped up by the time COVID came around. But I know that worldwide we were having all kinds of issues with materials, and then material prices just started just going crazy on us. Yeah. How did that affect your guys' business? Did you guys have a lot of effect from that? And did it change the way that you underwrote deals or how did that work? So we were we were really lucky with, uh, I can't say that it changed a lot, but we were really lucky in the sense where we had already bought the lots that and we had lined up our projects before everything went crazy. I think we bought three lots in 2020, but like prices hadn't yet soared when we bought these. Um, so just that, it was easier for us to figure out the budgets while we were building. We were also lucky in a way where we had um, we had two fourplexes that we were building, uh, like in 20, started 2020 and 2021. I don't remember exactly the sequence, but um, we had we had bought and stored a bunch of materials ahead of time without even knowing that there would be supply chain issues. It's just one of those things that were like, oh, there's a good deal on flooring. You know what? Let's just buy it all right now and stock it up. And we were happy we right. did. So. Um, a couple moves that happened just at the right time. We did do one fourplex though in the middle of the peak, like 2021, when everything was crazy and uh, the the lot we had already purchased before, thank God. But everything else, so we got really hit with uh, the the lumber um, and a button like material pricing and uh, labor prices. But uh, Rob kind of scaled back and he because we were at a point where we it was either we would hire an employee or we would start subbing out a lot more to sub trades, right? So at first that's, we were heading towards subbing out so that we wouldn't have to have an employee and Rob could take time off. Um, in the end though, we couldn't do that with COVID because everything was too expensive. So we got, it was better math to have an employee and have just like a labor on site to help him out, like a second pair of hands um, and, uh, and take on more of the labor work himself. So we were able to keep our loan to value ratio at like 70% with that, uh, which really helped us because interest rate when we signed was like at 6%, right? We weren't like, we were planning, we knew things were gonna get back up. Interest rates weren't gonna stay that low forever, but we were planning at a 5%, not six. So, you know, it was still a hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that hit a lot of investors, yeah. including myself, where it just really slowed my business down yeah. entirely. Just nothing was, nothing was no, exactly correctly. It didn't make sense. And that, no. That's super interesting and, and, um, the the fact that you're making those deals work at that percentage is is kind of really interesting and the the mechanics of how that works as yeah well. i mean at a certain Kyle, point sorry I no it's okay you, it's okay it's just yeah at a certain point you kind of have to make it work <laughs> and you know i i guess and i want to i meant to ask a question earlier before this last one but I, i'm curious why like what's your direction with this business and what's your purpose? Cause you know, everybody needs a purpose if the, in anything that they do, especially in investing. Otherwise you burn mm -hmm. out. And uh, I'm curious what it is that you guys are trying to accomplish. Is there an end goal here? Cause goal setting in this type of a business is so super important. So is there something else more so than just, you know, becoming financially and, and also getting time freedom, be becoming financially free and accomplishing time freedom? Uh, our goals change often, to be very honest, but uh, mostly so right now we're looking at doing a, a larger development project. Um, it is mostly just about hitting our target cash flow, um, target monthly cash flow. Once we can hit that, it'll be other opportunities. We, we like, you know, the idea of maybe starting other types of businesses. We might do something completely different it might stay in the construction industry we're not sure but our goals change pretty often uh we try to keep the same business statement or business mission where it's just to provide quality rental for any people who's looking any person who's looking to rent whether it's for one year or 20 so that's like our, our mission statement um so with that we focus on trying to accomplish um more cash flow less doors if that makes sense so like we have a minimum threshold of how much we want a door to cash flow and so when we're shopping for deals like let's say we're looking at a fiveplex but it cash flows less than a duplex we're going for the duplex we don't want to just have oh we want 50 doors no because 50 doors means nothing it doesn't mean you're cash flowing so we want to have the most amount of cash flow with the least amount of doors um so that we can and that's the way we say it as we can keep this like the same level or the, or the better level of service that we can provide for our tenants. Cause if we don't have cash flow, well then we can't hire the good maintenance or the, you, you know what I mean? Like we can't provide the good service if we don't make any money. So uh, we're just trying to kind of get to a point where we can um, reach that target monthly cash flow. And then from there, 
we want to create generational wealth too for our son. We want to get him in that. We want to make sure that he understands the value of hard work and that he can kind of maybe take over the business if he wants later, if he wants to do something completely different than whatever. Uh, but we want to teach that to our son. We want to pass it on, but we're not stuck on doing this forever. Uh, it would be cool to have a construction business too, though, like, grow a construction business, have more employees and let them kind of handle it while we go on vacation once in a while. Um, because right now it is a bit difficult to take vacation. Um, so that's one direction. We kind of have different directions that we want to take it and we're keeping it open. We're not stuck on one thing. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's I, our answer. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. I think that the, the cash flow thing is really interesting, um, certainly around the idea of, um, more overheads right especially in how there's much so much un economic uncertainty and like what we're all going through and stuff is is kind of yeah. interesting like actually more more inventory is actually not better yeah. more more doors yeah, are exactly. always better so that's that's super cool and i think the other thing that you know really taps into that is the community piece and we've heard that a lot recently right kyle that um it's a bit more of a cause and that's something i've really wrestled with is like i was purely looking at cash flow I want to earn this by this and it's like well actually what does that yeah. do for the world and how does that uh impact things and maybe that i'm a i'm a parent of a two-year-old so yep. that kind of changes Absolutely. perspective right when you start to carl's bit carl's an old hand at that he knows there's a higher purpose right carl? oh yeah <laughs> higher purpose <Yep. laughs> um one thing i i did want to ask you was around um the financing piece of how you've kind of leveled up and financed these um these properties is can you run us through kind of the first one was a an or did you say it was an auto yes. loan? Um, it's that? called the, here it's called the, an auto construction loan. Um, so basically, it's it's easier to get when it's for your own home. Um, when it's for an investment property, the rules change, right? So that's how we kind of got into it was by building it, building our own home. Um, you are able to replace your twenty percent down payment with your sweat equity. So. For easy math, let's say you get your drawings evaluated for a hundred thousand. The bank says, "Okay, well, obviously you're getting eighty percent of that, so it's up to you to build it for eighty percent for eighty thousand. And you know, if you're able to do it for less than that, then you can pocket the difference. But if not, then you got to put it up front money. Um, so, so yeah, you just gotta really budget. You gotta get in there. You gotta do the work. You gotta grind it out, and you save money, and that's at the end of it. They give you draws." I'm probably not explaining it very well, but they'll the the bank will give you uh like loan installments and every time the construction progresses and that you're needing an extra um, loan advancement, then you'll call the evaluator to come and see the, the the construction. They'll write a report, send it to the bank, then the bank gives you the percentage value of where you're at in the project, um, and then you progress at that until the the and you just pay interest during the construction too. And then when everything's done, uh, you get your, your full loan, you pay back your, uh, your construction loan, you get your mortgage in. Um, so that's how we did it. But then, um, then, you know, we added a, a basement apartment too. So we ended up like reevaluating, getting a HELOC, and then we use that HELOC to leverage it into an, an investment property. Um, but things change a lot since we did that back in 2014, because I know a few of my friends have tried to, to do the same thing and it was a little bit more strict. Um, so I don't know how the, because now we're on the commercial side of the bank too. So it's different now that we have more val more properties. Uh, we're no longer on the personal side. So we don't see the personal side of how it is now. Uh, but I know that it has changed a bit, uh, but it still exists. It's still possible, you know, to get that kind of, that kind of loan. Yeah. And that you bring up a, a pretty interesting um, topic, which is kind of commercial financing versus residential financing. And I, my wife and I, we fought the commercial thing for a long time, for many, many years. We, we just, you know, I don't want to get more than four units in a property because I don't want to deal with commercial financing. It comes with higher interest rates. It's got a lower amortization. It's got a balloon in five years. I don't, and I don't know if Canadian banks are the same, but um, that, that's pretty typical what we get in here in the United States. So when you moved over to the commercial side, what was the difference in the residential? And did you have, I guess, kind of a... a a mind block or did you push back against going commercial or did you just feel like that was the right way to go from day one? Um, we didn't really have a feeling about anything. We just kind of went with it. It was like, okay, we're getting roadblock here. We want to do this project. What do we do to get it done? 
And so they told us, well, you have to do this, you have to do this. Okay, cool. We're just going to do it. So we just kind of went through the waves and whatever happened, happened. And eventually everything got transferred over to the the, the commercial side, I call it there. Um, so we're with a credit union, though. We're not with a traditional bank. Um, so they have a little bit more flexibility in the construction loan. Like there is the credit union that is known for that in this in this area where I am. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was at when you we crossed over at 1.2 million terms in terms of mortgages so we had that in the personal way like okay well now you have to cross over uh but i honestly it's been years we crossed over in 2019 i think so i already don't remember to me it's just like okay it's dealt with it's done i so i don't i don't retain the details <laughs> what what are the differences uh, and and yeah, you just I'm said just you don't retain the details but can you can you remember the kind of key differences of like commercial versus, um, I guess, residential or, or, or consumer, I guess, because I've I've been looking at both and, and kind of trying to figure out what a good route for me would be, whether I'd go commercial, whether I'd just try and go for, I guess, conforming normal, normal. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what are the biggest so they look at they look at your financial uh, like st situation maybe a little differently. So they have the. Uh, you know, your debt to income ratio is different, though your properties have to like it's the one to one ratio with the uh, I honestly I, I don't remember what's if that's different than on the personal side. Um, but I know that now when we go to apply for a construction uh, loan, we have to. So they'll say, OK, like before we could say actually we needed to do that, too, in the personal. Anyways, I'm just going to ex explain a bit of how it works when we try to get a construction loan and then maybe. You know, you'll tell me if that makes sense, but I, I don't think I can tell you right now the differences between personal and commercial. I'd have to go back in old emails to find out. Um, but uh, they did. Uh, now they ask us, so we get our appraisals done for the construction drawings and they'll say, OK, um, you need to. So, so you know how an appraisal works usually for. Well, it's like that for everything, but for construction, they'll give you the mm -hmm. cost approach, the income approach, um, and then like the market value. So they'll lend us 80% of the cost approach, which is usually the, the lower number. Um, and then you have to be able to provide the, or show that you can provide the 20% in down payment, uh, that you have it available either in a line of credit or in cash or something like that. And then you have to put it up front yourself. Like you have to get the ball rolling in the construction, put up all that money. So if it's a hundred thousand dollars that's needed for the down payment, you have to put in a hundred thousand dollars in the property before they advance that first loan installment on the construction. Um, so you have to get it appraised first and say, okay, you are at that value. Now we can give you the first loan. Um, but before in personal, it wasn't like that. I think they were able to kind of advance it up front. Um, if I remember correctly, but again, that might have changed in the last years, right? It might not be the same in the personal anymore. Um, that's the first thing I can remember of what's different. Other than that, um, they'll look more the the overview of your business too, the business health, the last two years and stuff like that, the portfolio, like you need to send in a rent roll and stuff like that. We didn't need to do that on the personal side either. Um, it's coming back to me slowly, but uh, maybe I can circle back to that if something else comes up but that's all yeah. i can remember for now and and so essentially you've used exclusively bank financing for all of your deals is that correct we have done a uh, private lending twice so once with that uh, traditional bird that we did um and then with the fourplex we were kind of pushed into that one we were starting the fourplex we had the we had the preliminary okay from the bank to start the construction um we had the footings were about to be poured. We were just waiting for their final okay. But like everything was there. It was it was spring. It was wet. And we were just like, okay, we need to get in this. The, the hole was dug, right? So we need to get in this right now before everything starts flooding. Um, and uh, we had we were just about to pick up our $40,000 permit because I don't know how, how much permits are in your area, but new construction. Did you say 40, Yeah, 40,000 and that's cheap now. Now they're like 55. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so we, yeah, gosh. it's very expensive. The development fees is what makes it expensive. Um, but yeah, we were just about to go pick up that permit and uh, that, that day before we got an email from the bank saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't think we can, we can uh, approve your loan anymore. 
And we were like, okay, what? What's going on? So it was a huge stress. I remember freaking out. But at the same time, it's good that it happened because it showed us how um, resourceful we could be because we pulled it off in a week. We got financing from a private lender. We called our accountant, which is a, a good friend and also an investor in our area. We called him and told him what was going on. He said, okay, well, I have contacts. You know, I can put you in contact with people. Um, so he set up a meeting within a week with someone and uh, I had put up this really quick like portfolio overview on a Word document and and our Excel sheets with our finances. Like so it, it wasn't organized like it is today, but it it worked, whatever worked. And we brought that. We met with them and we chatted with them for about 30 minutes or like 10 minutes before just so that they get to know us. And then we, we presented the project and um uh, that guy was like kind of a broker for private lending in the area. And so he told me, okay, I think I can get you two people who might be interested. Um, so he came back a couple of days later and said, I have this person at this percentage or this person at this percentage. Uh, and obviously we went with the cheaper percentage, but also because we ended up knowing who that person was through the branches. And we know it was a good person because I was very afraid of doing a private loan. I, it felt like, you know, like a shark loan. I don't know. It just, it just felt, um, it felt iffy to me. It, it, like it, like it wasn't something normal. And so I didn't want to take that high risk. Uh, but I knew this person was a great, had a great reputation in, in our, in our market. Um, so we went for it and within a week from, from, getting that uh, initial meeting we had our loan he agreed to do it in installments kind of like the same way as the bank so even though we were paying a higher interest we were able to manage the interest payments uh, more because we were just paying on what we were borrowing he wasn't giving us a big chunk of the like the, the entire loan in one shot um so that went really well and then turns out like a week after that the bank was like oh i'm so sorry it turns out it was just a mistake on our end we're good to go and we're like yeah well too late now, but let's have the mortgage though. <laughs> That's amazing that you, that, that cycle is so quick. I, I'm with you. I find it, I find it yeah. icky, I guess is a, is a word. Um, but I equally, I do, I do private lend through okay. my retirement account. So that makes <laughs> zero sense. Right. Um, in terms of that, that pitching process, did it feel like a pitch? Did you have to pitch yourselves and then the project um, or? How, how was, was how it was, was okay because that broker was very sweet uh he made us feel comfortable and we just you know i'm i'm used to i was used to meeting clients at my old job being a designer i was kind of used to talking with people so we just we just chatted and you know we're french so that that gentleman was french too and it just felt comfortable it was like someone local from our area um he just you could you could tell he was trying to get a feel of us to see what kind of people we are and same thing on our side, right? We're trying to figure out, and we didn't know he was just yeah. a broker at that time. We didn't know what was going on. So we just chatted with him and it felt comfortable. And then when we understood what was going on, um, you know, after we had pitched, we we had our, our project and our portfolio review. He looked through it, um, but it was, no, it was comfortable. It was okay. And I think it's important that it felt comfortable. If it wouldn't have felt comfortable, I wouldn't have went through with it, right? Um, so, yeah. And what was the exit strategy out of that? Was it just, did you just pay yeah. back the loan? Did you, did you go back to the bank and refinance? Yeah. So when the bank had come back and said, oh, I'm sorry, it was a mistake. You know, we're good to go. We said, okay, well, we found another way. Thank you anyways. Um, but let's, let's meet back in a couple months to talk about the, the mortgage, right? So we still went ahead with the mortgage with them. Um, and so as soon as construction were done, was done, we still uh, had it appraised and sent the report to the bank. They knew what the project was going on, right? They were aware of the file, obviously. Um, and so once the once we had our mortgage, we were able to pay back our private lender. Um, and that was that. That was, that was the extra strategy. It took us, I think that project took us longer than... Might have taken us some almost a year, but it's because Rob was doing everything himself, a lot himself, not everything, but a lot himself. Um, so it did take longer, but um, but yeah, no, it, it, we didn't really have an exit strategy plan other than, oh my God, we have to get a mortgage and pay this guy back because we were stuck, right? We weren't planning on getting a, a private lender. Interesting stuff. And when you say he was doing a lot of it himself, was he actually working on the house itself or managing the project no so. rob doesn't rob works a lot on the project like he oh yeah, yeah he's okay. he's in there swinging the hammer installing the drywall he that's drywall is his thing he loves that uh but yeah he he'll 
Yeah, I know. I know. He's weird, right? I don't get it either. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there are some things in this life that are worth paying for. Drywall. Drywall is number one. Yeah, so he loves oh. boarding up. He doesn't do the plaster, though. We hire for the plaster, but he loves boarding up. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, that's that's not so bad then. I, I'm not a very artistic person, so when I have to do something and make it look good, <laughs> it doesn't go very well. Um I would love to know how you guys find properties. How do you source lots? Because I'm assuming you're purchasing these lots. You said you earlier during COVID, you had already purchased a lot and then you were able to build on it. What are you guys doing to find these? Are these all on-market deals or are you building relationships for off-market stuff? That too, yeah. So yes yeah. and yes. Um, so we do a lot of properties that we got was from MLS. So just something went on the market, but um, it wasn't back then. It Finding lots wasn't a crazy strategic maneuver like it is today ever since covid lots now are going for three times what four times what they were before and they're leaving within 28 minutes of being posted online right so um it's not the mm. same before we could we, there was like a lot for we their first lot we bought it for thirty five thousand dollars um and now that same lot probably would sell, would sell for like 150 i don't know but um so it's not the same and like we had time to actually analyze the property back then and look at it and and, and do our research before even putting in an offer um so back then it was it was easier it was it was more of a laid back thing but it was a lot of uh on market deals mls um and then after that um eventually you know so posting it on social media telling people what you do uh or even just building itself especially in our market it's not a very big town um people talk people know each other especially in the construction and, and investment industry everybody knows everybody we talk to people on a daily basis so the word spreads and they know what you do and then you end up getting called i think at least like just yesterday i got a call for someone uh wanting to sell a lot um so it it just the word spreads so about 50 50 i'd say is either off market or uh, mls well that's that's kind of interesting and i think um it's it's interesting to hear the spike yeah. in in numbers in Canada oh, yeah. as well as here San Diego went went crazy and um went through the roof so is will the will the strategy going forward be to continue to use um traditional finance or will you will you rely on uh, private money again what do, what does that look like is is there a scale kind so of right now it's still conventional lending uh that's what we prefer we prefer to pay the lower interest and have more of the um less of the the risk of you know not knowing if you'll be able, you'll be able to pay that person back i just find especially with the interest rates going up and um banks kind of tightening their belts around the approvals and stuff I wouldn't want to be stuck in a position where all of a sudden they change their approval standards and you can't get a mortgage and can't pay that person back and you're stuck paying that. You, you can't pay private lending, you know, long term. You can't pay those interest rates long term. Um, so and usually the, the agreement is for a year maximum. Um, so no, conventional lending is definitely where we're at. Um, we do have line of credits and stuff where we're able to do a lot of stuff, our, like buy stuff ourselves until we can kind of figure out the preferred lending um, criteria, if you, if you want to call it. But um, um, now we're doing a bigger development soon. So that one's going to be for sure conventional lending. It's going to be a longer process. Uh, never done that before. So we'll learn as we go. We're going to look at uh, <clears throat> probably government funding too. There's programs where like if you can do um, a low, uh, lower income housing, you know, you can get a way better, way better interest uh, rate. And so we're going to look into that. Uh, but yeah, our, our, our number one strategy is still with our credit union, getting the conventional lending for construction loans and just keep tracking the way we've been. Oh, go ahead, Kyle. Did, did you? If you had another lending question, I was going to kind of change directions a little bit. But go ahead, John. If you had another lending question, I was going to change directions as well. Well, Kyle. you change first, <laughs> and then I'll change next. How's yeah, that? I think you should change direction, and then I'll see if we need to change again, course correct again. All right. So I have a question about design, and I think you're the perfect person for this because this is something. What you guys are doing. Um, so I, I invest in long-term rentals. I just buy existing structures because I'm lazy. And it's just way easier to throw money at something and then make money off of that money. You know, it's just, I think a lot of, there's, there's just not very many developers out there. There's a lot of developers, but I would say if you put them in a room with, with, uh, you know, and just investors who, who buy long-term rentals, 
those investors that buy long term are going to be way outnumbered or are going to outnumber the developers. And I've always wanted to do developing. I was just super interested in it. I love construction. Um, I don't know how to do it because I'm not a very good designer. And so I would be, I'm curious if maybe you could explain to us what is the right layout for a house for somebody who wants to build something for, you know, to really appeal to it to somebody. Is it a two story with a, does it have to have a bathroom on the bottom and top? I mean, what how would you design a house if it was the perfect place for a tenant, which is what you already A do. house or a fourplex? Because right now my four, fourplexes are my forte, right? So <laughs> a custom Oh, then tell us the fourplex. Absolutely. I love multifamily. Yeah. So yeah, tell, tell us how, how this, because I've looked at your buildings. They're very unique because when I look at the front of your buildings, it actually looks like a mansion. It, you can't even really tell that these things are necessarily multifamily projects. I love it. I think it's a wonderful idea. You, you don't see these individual townhome looking properties, which is pretty typical here in the States. Right. So I'm curious how you guys, where your design mind goes with this. So I find design is a personal preference all around, right? You'll talk to someone and they'll prefer two-story homes and like townhomes or whatever with three-story levels. I hate stairs. I'm lazy. I don't like to go up and down stairs all day long. So I want want everything on one level. Um, Here in Canada, and it, there's a lot of stuff like that too in the States, but it's not like that everywhere. Um, basements is a big thing here, uh, right? Everybody, we, we all build with basements. So the way that we typically build is we'll do like a five, because we have to dig five feet minimum to be below frost and stuff like that. Um, but usually the typical um, height for a, found, for a foundation is eight feet in ground so the basement is eight feet in ground we'll just do five feet we go at the minimum so we have five foot foundation walls and then we have like a three foot standard wall on top to have bigger windows and so we'll do um so basically it's like a half out basement um and then so we'll have a basement unit and then we'll have a top unit and then again like a top unit on the other side and a basement unit on the other side so that's how we design our fourplexes usually um so you'll if you're outside you'll go upstairs like seven stairs you're on the main floor level or from outside you go down seven stairs and you're in the basement level um so there's not too many stairs like to go up we're trying to think too in terms of uh, you know barrier free or reduced mobility stuff like that if you want to appeal to an older generation as well they usually typically don't like stairs um so we don't like to have a lot of stairs but you can't really run away from that too. Um, so that's how we like to do it. We like to have a mixed two in our portfolio of two bedrooms and three bedrooms. We don't normally go for one bedrooms just because it's a, it's a smaller target market. Um, so we have a mix of two, three bedrooms, uh, one bathroom for, if there's one bathroom, we try to do like a dual a sink, you know, like a, like a luxury enough bathroom space. Uh, if there's two bathrooms, usually it's cause it's an ensuite and then the bathrooms are a little smaller, but at least you have those two spaces uh, that you can use. Um, and then we try to incorporate usually with the top units, a garage, because it is a big thing here. People need storage. People like they'll, they'll pay the extra f- to have that. Um, and so you can increase your rents a lot when you have a garage and an outdoor space. We try to give everyone and like their individual outdoor spaces or else because we have a property where there's a shared yard and there's a lot more turnovers there's a lot more managing on that side um so especially since covid people want outdoor spaces right it's really important um so we try to incorporate that with each design so outdoor spaces garage uh reduce the number of stairs big windows for natural light um luxury enough bathrooms we try to incorporate to their own laundry rooms because like laundromats here is not really a thing there is one in town but it's people usually have their own laundry machines um although like it won't stop us if we're, when we're doing our bigger uh, development we might do a communal laundry room where we can have coin operating machine have that extra income as well um, so it's all things that uh, we try to keep in mind when we're designing there that's awesome um uh, kyle i'm so glad you you made that pivot because that's that's super interesting i think that's like such the fundamentals of of you know i'm I'm just getting into this and looking at um multifamily that that kind of is a good tick list to think about when i when i go through that so my my pivot or my, my change of direction was um i i really like the the phrase you used earlier which was the hole was already <laughs> dug uh i guess you were talking physically but like I guess metaphorically, that's quite interesting that kind of we've we've gone this far um, in terms of wins and losses and or, or kind of lessons learned, actually, is probably the better one. What what are the kind of best lessons you've you've kind of learned through your 
investing Oh, uh, my God. Um, lessons learned. Well, I mean, we talked about this earlier, Kyle, you know, with your, your spouse of just doing the roles and responsibilities and, and trying to be on that right page with your, uh, with your spouse and also avoiding the burnout. So I think it's really important, you know, to, to, it, I, I respect the grind people who work on their business all the time, but you really have to take the time to relax and disconnect um, because and, and take a vacation. Because I think that as entrepreneurs and as people who, um, you know, as entrepreneurs in general, I think that we just need more vacation time because our minds are always rolling. They're always happening. So to take time with family is, is really important uh, because we did we did learn the hard way from that right through burnouts. Um, and um what else in terms of business mindset? Like I could talk mindset for a while. I'm actually writing a book right now and I'm, I'm almost done. I'm ready to launch this soon. Um, so I'd have to, I feel like I have to take out my book and like read through it. Cause I talk about that, but now it's not coming to me. Um, that's a great, great segue into books because you know, in this business, it seems like a lot of us are readers oh, yeah. and you mentioned a little bit earlier that you're a reader as well. <laughs> To put you on the spot, you know, if I could ask you to throw out a couple of titles, you know, something that's maybe been impactful for you, and uh, what titles would you share with our audience? Well, the the most common and almost annoying one that everyone hears about is the Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's, it's like a thing. I think it's like a rite of passage for every investor here. Um, so obviously that one was a big uh, shocker because we were we were building our third property uh, when I was about to lose it. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. You know, uh, it was too much. And uh, my husband was like, okay, let's take a vacation. Let's relax. So we went on a vacation and he kind of slipped that book to me during the trip. And it's like, you should read this, babe. And so I read it and at the end of the trip. It's like, oh my God, let's do this. <laughs> so that one was definitely an impactful one. And to anyone who starts, I tell them, read this book first, then let's talk. Um, after that, a one other that really uh, helped me was the um, uh, it's a Canadian book. So obviously it's probably not really beneficial to like the U.S. Uh, people who are listening, but it's about the market downturn and the market cycles. And it's written by Don Campbell. It's I don't remember the title. Um, I can I can find it there in a couple minutes. But um, it's it talks about the cycles of the markets and, and like what to look through, what to look for before a market downturn, uh, what to expect and kind of how to prepare for it. So I read this before COVID, just before COVID happened. Um, during that winter, I read it and I found a lot of things in there. We were like preparing our portfolio. We're like the, the market's been high for a few years now. I feel like we should be preparing. So we did a couple things to prepare a portfolio for it. And then COVID happened. You're like, oh my God, like it's a good thing that we were you know, we were, we had read that book, but then the market kept going up, which is, didn't, I didn't think that's what it was going to happen. Uh, but you know, I think that one was a really good book. And I think even though, even if you're in the U S it's a good book to read because the market cycles are the same, whether you're in Canada or, or in the States. Right. Um, so I'll find that title and I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know in a couple minutes there, we can circle back to that. And there's a there's a book very similar book by Jay Scott and I can't remember the title of that but I've just been finished listening to it and it's all about the the cycle of the market the peaks the lows and how to um, kind of make the most of those peaks and and troughs so that's kind of interesting and we need to Carl we need a a button or a, a noise when Rich yeah. Dad Poor Dad's mentioned right oh that's a great idea and I, I'm <laughs> the same I'm the same it was uh, <laughs> it was the one I read that that clicked, yeah. uh, clicked with me. Um, we've asked this question a few times, Kyle, right? Which is why that book? Yes. What What is it in that it, book? It, that to me, it was just realizing how um, just just the, how like education and stuff. It's not all that it's cracked up to be, and, and as much and that's not true because I am a very big advocate of of staying educated. I think it's really really important to stay educated, especially in the business that you're doing, you know, you, you stay, you, you want to stay up to date with whatever business you're, you're running. Um, and to always stay educated, never be this, never think you're the smartest person in the room or anything like that. Um, but it's just like, it was an eye opener to see that even though someone may have a huge education that they may not have that income that comes with it too. So, or, or the financial education that comes with it. So it was just, 
the pivot of how to shift your mindset around that and realize that financial education is a thing and you need to study that on its own, right? <laughs> and creating yeah. like, yeah, just investing in general is really important. So my take and i was thinking about this the other day and i need to re-listen to that book or reread it um, my take on it was um through, throughout school i feel like i was conditioned that over on one side is creativity and arts over on the other side is math business science and the two can never meet and actually what i really think processing and thinking about rich dad poor dad what really got me thinking was that you know there's creativity in business and solving problems and the ability to solve problems is intrinsic to creativity or creativity is intrinsic yep. to solving problems. And that's so inter interlinked with being an entrepreneur, being an investor. And, and that kind of, I that was never connected yep. at school. And that was kind of, yeah, really yeah, you're right. That was, that was super deep. <laughs> I actually really, I like that kind job. of abstract. <laughs> I've had a coffee. <laughs> you're I'm good to go. <laughs> I know. I like it. That was really good. I guess I hadn't, I, uh, I found the good. book uh, to its, um, uh, Secrets of the Canadian Real Estate Cycle with Don Campbell. So mm. I read that book twice because I just thought that there was a lot of good little nuggets in there, you know, some things to, to keep in mind. Um, on the on the subject of wins, you know, I because I'm so interested in what it is that you and Rob are doing, um, would you be willing or able to, again, putting you on the spot, to pick out one of your deals which has been the most profitable um, or the most success, maybe, maybe you just love the building so much and it's not the most profitable, which one of your deals would you consider to be your perfect? And can you talk us through it? Such as how much did the lot cost, maybe a price per square footage cost and what you ended up renting these for? Uh, yeah. So, um, I could tell you about two deals. Uh, well, one actually was the traditional burr. That one was an amazing, uh, profitable deal. But at the same time, it was just with the timing of the market that we bought it just before the the, the, the peaks of, of the market in COVID there. And then we sold them. Uh, it was a side-by-side -side duplex. We renovated um, and then we, we severed it and sold off one side and then sold off the other side. And we basically doubled uh, what we had paid for it. Uh, but again, it was just kind of the timing of the market and taking advantage of the high values. Um, for a construction site, I think it was one of our fourplex that we built again during COVID, but we had a lot of, we had the lot purchased, uh, for $80,000 and, um, that one we had to put in a septic field and the, 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 it's funny because like thinking about it, you think that our cost would have been a lot higher, but for some reason, because Rob was able to get in there and do a lot of work himself, um, we ended up being able to stay at, um, I think cost of construction was about 600,000. Um, and so, and with that, we even pulled out some money for him to pay him back the money we had set aside for, you know, hiring trades. Um, and it was valued initially we had a lower value because we had it valued before the high peaks again of COVID with COVID that same building right in front, somebody like we, we sold our plans to someone and somebody uh, built the same building in front. He had it evaluated a year later for 300 or 400,000 more than we did. Um, so like it was valued at 1.3, right? So it's almost like if our ARV was at 50% when we built it. Um, so that one was, was really good. And uh, right now they're even, the rents are below market value because again, it was just the timing of the market, but we, we rented the top units for 1650, but they could go for 1900 today. Um, and bottom units are I have one bottom unit for sixteen fifty because we had a turnover. I was able to raise the rents, and the other one at fifteen hundred. Um, so that one cash flows. It, it cash flows really well. I think I think it's about two thousand dollars a month. That's impressive stuff. Um, in terms of if you had to start today, is there anything you do differently? Um, and you know, you're, you're killing it. Those numbers are amazing. So I appreciate that's a loaded question. Um, but I guess knowing what you know about the market or, or kind of your assumptions of the market, is there a different approach? You take um, today? I'm actually pretty happy with how things went. We learned from whatever went wrong and I'm happy we did. So, um, maybe I would have tried to scale quicker. Um, we, you know, we were taking it easy at first. We were doing single family homes, but it's because we were, we didn't have the, the, uh, 
the down payments to, to have larger loans to do duplexes and stuff. So like the first time we wanted to build something, we wanted it to be a duplex, but it had to be a single family unit. And we eventually converted to a duplex later, but I, I'm still happy we did it that way because it was our stepping stone. It was our way of forcing ourselves into the investment market. Um, so, but I think, yeah, just trying to scale faster, trying to focus more on doing uh, multifamily because it is quicker to scale from multifamilies than it is from uh, single family homes, right? So uh, the first couple of homes we built were singles and we ended up selling those because they weren't profitable enough. But at the same time, we recycled that capital into other deals. Um, so it still made sense. I'm, I'm still happy with all our decisions, um, but I think I would have hired a property manager faster because that's a game changer. That's lovely. <laughs> um, <laughs> that and the employee too probably would have done it faster. Yeah. I think that's about it. That's awesome. Um, we want to be mindful of your time. Kyle, is there anything else, any other questions you have? I've got a million of them, but we don't have <laughs> time for them. So no, this has been really great, Natalie. And we really appreciate you being yeah, here. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I hadn't been on a podcast in a while. I'm happy I, you're getting me back into it. <laughs> we were glad to pull you back into it. And uh, yeah, no, we, we really appreciate you uh, hopping on and uh, it's it's a it's a great um, it's great to kind of talk about the the development process and I think that's where Kyle's poking. Kyle, maybe we need a season on development. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be a good next one actually. I like that. Yeah, let's you know do what? that. Can let's we, just have Nat- Natalie. We've got to get you back on. She kicked it off. There you for go. Us. This is episode one. <laughs> yeah, I dig it. Well, let's not jump the gun, Kyle. We've got some uh, some someone in our team is doing production. <laughs> I don't know who, but we, I mean, I, it's weird, you yeah, know, that we make these that videos and then magically they just show up <laughs> online. I don't even know how they get there. It's so strange. Yeah. Just Our virtual assistant guys. Natalie, we'd, we'd love to get you back on actually and talk, uh, talk construction. Uh, yeah, for sure. Send me a, yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. Send me a message. We'll make it happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we, we really like the, the candid um, conversation and, and the, uh, the construction piece is so super interesting, especially to Kyle and, and myself as well. San Diego is a, a ripe for construction market. So yeah, it's definitely. interesting. And, uh, yeah, thank no you problem. So Thanks for having me. Like I said, it was, a, it was great chatting with you guys. Great. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.